God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you not only speak to us, but you give us words to speak and sing and pray to you. Uh, we thank you for your psalms. And we pray that as we walk through some of these prayer songs that you have given us this summer, uh, that you would bless all of those who teach and bless those who are listening and learning. Help us together as your people with one voice to praise and glorify you. Teach us, O oh Lord, uh, to find our spiritual lives in the Psalms. Uh, teach us to resonate uh, with the words of your people, uh, which are really the words of your Holy Spirit spoken through your, your church uh, throughout the ages. Help us also to lift our voices to you with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we begin uh, a word from Psalm 92, which we will look at more in depth later, Psalm 92, the first four verses, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands I sing for joy. That's what we're studying this summer, um, we are studying what it means to sing praises to the Lord uh, and, uh, and to do that through the Psalms. Now, you will know if you have spent much time in the Psalms uh, that not all of the Psalms are what we might call joyful. Uh, some of them are somber. Uh, some of them are, um, uh, well, Psalm 88 is quite frankly depressing. Uh, it's the only psalm that doesn't end with that upward turn back to the Lord and back to faith in him, but rather ends in complete darkness. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the dynamics of the different psalms that we have. But in general, uh, what are we doing with the psalms? We are learning to praise the Lord. As we begin today, we're going to start with a little bit of groupthink, uh, but, you know, like the good kind. Um, and uh, a question for us to talk about. The question that we have today is, where do the psalms fit into your spiritual life. I had thought about breaking us up into different groups, uh, but we can just have a, a larger discussion today. Uh, and so I, I have a couple of questions. Uh, I, I am uh, typically not just going to give you one question to answer, but a whole group of them to think about, and you can fire back uh, whatever you want to, to give us. So here's some things to think about as we consider how do Psalms fit into your spiritual life and experience. Perhaps you have a personal Psalm. Uh, a psalm that you associate with some life event, uh, some season of your walk with the Lord, something that when you think of a time, you think of a scripture, and or when you think of that scripture, you think of that time, and you can't uh, separate them. Maybe you have a psalm that you go to, uh, one that you keep in your back pocket, or as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, one that you've hidden in your heart. And so maybe when you're distressed, or you're anxious, or you're fearful, fearful when you are experiencing the joy of the Lord, or when you're struggling to be thankful, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe some other experience in your life. Maybe there's a psalm that you go to. Or if you are one of the psalm lovers among us, uh, what is it about these passages in particular that resonate with you? Now, um, those first questions are not good discussion questions because they're yes or no. Do you have a, a psalm? Well, yes. Okay. No. If you answer that, elaborate. Tell us what it is. Tell us uh, how the psalms resonate with you and how the Lord has used them in your life. Anybody want to begin uh, by sharing uh, their experience with the psalms and how the Lord has used that to influence your spiritual life? Greg, and then I see Dave.
Yeah, so the Psalms focus our attention on the Lord. Uh, they are Godward words, uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. They're, they're God's word to us, but they're also our words to God uh, as we speak by the Holy Spirit and the words that he's, he's given us. I saw Dave, and then anybody else after? like that. All the way up to almost sinning, we're going to have another uh, series this summer, Psalms 37 and 73 from Tim Bleeker, uh, and, and that's the one you know where he's considering the, uh, the wicked and their prosperity, and he says, as for me, my foot had almost slipped. I was right there. I was so envious of the wicked and what seems to be their prosperity, and it takes us right to the edge of doubting God's goodness and then pulls it back so that we can see who he really is. Excellent. So it, it gives a structure for prayer. It's an expression of all of the emotions that we experience. Uh, what about anybody else? Do, do you have a psalm that you love? Is there something that resonates from them uh, in your spiritual experience? Lizzie? So psalms, very often, because we can memorize them, because we sing them, uh, that's one of the things that we found with young children, that singing psalms in the home was a wonderful way to memorize. Uh, but it gives us an anchor, right? When we, when we feel like things aren't where they should be, uh, it, it gives us something to go back to. It's that idea of hiding God's word in our heart. Great. Anybody else? Ginny. Okay, why is that one special for you, Ginny? Yeah, yeah. Good. So the Psalms teach us wonderful truths about God, right? It does give us words. Uh, they do give us words to speak to God. They do give us expression for ourselves. Uh, but it also gives us an opportunity to come back, and there's, there's real doctrine in the Psalms. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. And it takes this, this picture, and, and we, have to, we have to wrap our mind around, what does it mean for God to be a shepherd? He's not literally somebody out in a field with sheep with a, a shepherd's crook, but we can understand the way that he protects us, the way that he leads us, the way that he, uh, he cares for his people. And so it leads us back to truths about God. Great. One more person. Anybody else want to share about their spiritual experience with the Psalms? Did I see Tucker? Yeah, what do you want to share with us? Great. So the Psalms also give us promises, 
right? It tells us about God. They tell us about God's world. They also tell us about those who disregard him. The wicked are like chaff. They're swept away in the wind. But the righteous are like trees planted by streams of water. And we have that contrast there. And it tells us what should we expect from the Lord? What can we believe about him? Excellent. Thank you, Tucker. I appreciate that. Uh, Well, I want to encourage you to continue thinking about these things uh, later. Maybe talk with them among your family uh, as you gather around or as you talk with one another. Uh, What is a psalm that resonates with you? Dave uh, Babbitt mentioned that wonderful idea uh, from Calvin. Calvin says, and you have probably heard this, uh, this is in his introduction to his commentary in the Psalms. He says, I have been accustomed to call this book an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. This is a beautiful quote. Uh, it is often used among reform folks as we discuss the Psalms. Uh, but uh, is it just about showing us what's inside of our soul? He says, nothing that you can experience, no emotion is not here represented. Uh, Or is it more than that? Does it also describe our experience so that we can wrestle with it and we can understand ourselves a little bit better? Hear the rest of the quote. This is the beginning, uh, but Calvin goes on. And I apologize for lots of text on, uh, on the screen today. He continues by saying, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. The other parts of Scripture contain the commandments which God enjoined his servants to announce to us. So he says the other parts of Scripture are primarily the Lord speaking to his people. But here the prophets are exhibited to us as speaking to God. We get to eavesdrop, as it were, uh, on the prayers of God's prophets. Uh, The Holy Spirit inspiring these words as they speak to God, and we get to listen to what they're saying. He says, and they draw each of us to the examination of himself in particulars. So all of those things that we experience, Calvin says when we see others praying, uh, it draws us into an examination of himself in particulars in order that none of the many infirmities to which we are subject and the many vices with which we abound may remain concealed. He continues, Genuine and earnest prayer proceeds first from a sense of our need, and next from faith in the promises of God. It is by perusing these inspired compositions that men will be most effectually awakened to a sense of their maladies, and at the same time instructed in seeking remedies for their cure. Do you understand what he's saying there? The Psalms not only expose what we need, but they expose who God is, so that we can connect those two things. In a word, he says, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray is taught to us in this book. That's where we started. Greg said, uh, what's great about the Psalms? Well, they teach us how to pray. That's what Calvin says. They teach us how to pray because they not only show us who God is, but they show us what we need from him so that we can connect those two ideas and we can take them to the Lord in prayer. We can take to him all the promises that he gives us. We can take to him all of the frustrations that we see uh, manifest there. We can take to him all of our sins and our struggles. Uh, And uh, I think uh, this is the Old Testament response to the prayer of the disciples in the New Testament. 
they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, and Jesus gave them a prayer, uh, but God also gave us the Psalter. Right? So when we say, Lord, teach us to pray, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to pray for the things that I ought. We can turn to the Psalms. Here's a prayer that you can pray. And that brings us to uh, beginning to think about what the Psalms are. Uh, they do a, a bit of double duty. Uh, they are prayers, but they're also songs, uh, which is one of the reasons we, we love to sing them, to memorize them, and then to pray them. Um, so the, the word that we have for the, the book of Psalms, as we have it in our, our English Bible, comes from Greek and Latin. They're very similar. Uh, the word is psalmus. Uh, in the Greek, it means a, a song sung with stringed accompaniment. The Hebrew title for this book is a little different. The Hebrew title is Tehillim, uh, which simply means praises, right? Uh, so what we find in the Psalter, again, although there are uh, various themes and various genre of psalms and, and all sorts of, uh, of truths that we can find, what we have in the Psalter uh, is a group of 150 songs, varying length, varying circumstances, but one unifying theme. The Hebrew term is Praises. Here's Psalm 117, the shortest of the psalms at just two verses, and that is the theme throughout. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. There is, in two verses, the theme of the Psalter. Praise the Lord, all peoples. He is great in his steadfast love and faithfulness. So let us praise him. And so we go from the longest psalm, 176 verses, to the shortest, uh, and, uh, and we find throughout uh, a, a familiar theme. Now, uh, I've already mentioned this, but I want to talk a bit about the fact that, uh, that not only are the psalms double duty in the sense that they are both songs and prayers, uh, but they're triple duty in the sense of, of what is the direction that these words are moving. First, when we think about psalms, we should think about psalms as God's word to us. Right? God speaks to us in his psalms. Uh, he, by his Holy Spirit, has inspired them. They're not just a random collection uh, of things that people thought were good to write down and, and songs that people like to sing. They are inspired scripture. Uh, second, they are our word to God, uh, so we can use them. Uh, and in some cases, for 3,000 years, God's people have been using and singing and praying these words to the Lord uh, to give expression of their own souls and their own spiritual experience. Uh, but then, uh, psalms also become our word to one another. Uh, words that we use from God's word to encourage one another in the Lord. Let's look at each of those in turn. Uh, first, the psalms are, are God's word to us. This is from Acts chapter 4. Uh, verses 24 to 26, but you can find other examples of things like this in the New Testament. Uh, this is uh, the occasion when, uh, when some of the apostles had been, um, had been uh, arrested, taken before the, the Sanhedrin, and then released. They were threatened uh, not to speak the name of Jesus and then released, and then all of the disciples gathered together. Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 24, it says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now they're quoting scripture there. What are they quoting? Bonus points for anybody who knows it. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. They are quoting the Psalms and they are saying that God has spoken here. Uh, elsewhere you will find David called a prophet in scriptures. Uh, we, we don't typically think to number him among the prophets like Jeremiah or uh, Ezekiel or Hosea, but the scriptures tell us that David was a prophet. So God reveals himself through the Psalms to his people. Uh, he gives us words uh, in the Psalms that help us to interpret what we see in the world around us and to know what we should expect from him. So they are God's word to us. Secondly, the Psalms are our word to God. Here's verse, uh, Psalm 28, verses 1 and 2. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary, you can find this sort of thing over and over and over and over again. Uh, in the Psalms, this is uh, the language of one who cries out to the Lord. So the Psalms, when we use them and pray them, become our prayer as well. Uh, think about the, the fact that the Psalms, uh, or, or the book of Psalms, is a book that evolved. Now, we're conservative uh, Christians, right? We, uh, we believe that God inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. He carried them along. Uh, we believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, right? We believe that Luke wrote the book of Luke. Uh, and, and they might have done some editing, and maybe Joshua was involved in that line that says, well, Moses was the most humble man who ever lived, maybe. Uh, but in the whole, uh, we love to believe and to teach uh, that God has given us men to write books as a whole. But the Psalter didn't arrive uh, sort of by one person writing down all of these words. A lot of it comes from David, but you see the sons of Korah, you see Psalms from Moses, you, you see Psalms uh, from other writers, m a, a great many of them, we have no idea who wrote them. Uh, we don't know uh, who penned uh, the psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 92, but that doesn't stop us. Uh, we recognize that over time and throughout the centuries of God's people and his experience with them, uh, they were seeing what was going on in their lives. They were interpreting what God was doing with the nation, and they were speaking to the Lord. And as his people went through time and history with their God, they wrote these psalms and they became part of the, the voice of the people. Uh, so they grow out of the experience of the nation, and they become our word to God when we also uh, put them into, uh, into words and speak to the Lord. And then, thirdly, I mentioned, oh, this is good. Uh, thirdly, I mentioned that they are our word to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 and 19. says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a debate. Uh, there are some people who would say that those three categories, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, represent three different kinds of psalms that we find in the Old Testament Psalter. Uh, that's debated. 
Uh, and I think Paul writing to a Gentile audience uh, is not restricting them to only those three areas. Uh, but he does include psalms. He does include uh, the psalms, and I think that they would have been encouraged as new believers, even Gentile believers, to learn the songs of God's people uh, so that they could speak to one another, so that they could encourage one another with what the Lord is doing. So uh, God's word to us, our word to God, and our word to one another, but there is, there's one more uh, interesting thing we need to see, and that is that God's psalms are often our word to God with one another. Understand what I'm meaning? Uh, what I'm saying here? Uh, follow the pronouns when you read the Psalms. Very often, uh, they will switch between singular and plural, between I and we, and that is not a mistake. Uh, what the Psalms do is that very often they call us as individual believers to, uh, to find our spiritual experience in the larger spiritual experience of God's corporate people. To recognize that we are not the only people uh, who have called upon the Lord, that we are not the only people who are praying to him and singing to him, but rather when we see we language, it's calling us to come in and to recognize that we are a part of this very great cloud of witnesses that are all calling out to the Lord together. It calls us uh, to recognize that God has a body and a family and a kingdom and not just individual children. But on the other hand, very often it will switch to singular language where we are ex uh, expected or encouraged not just to find our experience in the community, but in our representative, right? So we see lots of these. We see Jesus on the cross crying out from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when we read Psalm 22, we might have some times where we feel abandoned, where we feel that, that we've been harmed or, or forgotten, uh, but the ultimate reality there is that there was one who was forsaken and abandoned in our place. And when we read those things, especially when the New Testament encourages us uh, to connect a psalm directly from the Old Testament setting uh, to its New Testament reality in Christ Jesus, what we ought to do is realize that we find our ultimate spiritual experience in his experience for us. He is our representative. He is our king. So, uh, I think it's uh, Psalm 72, uh, God, uh, give justice to your king. And of course, we can imagine that the people in ancient Israel gathering around, and they have a physical king. And we get tripped up when, when, when we see those things. God, give your justice to your king. Uh, and and we, well, what does that mean? Well, exalt the throne of Christ Almighty. Exalt the throne of the one who is anointed. This, by the way, uh, gives us one way to handle imprecation. Everybody know what imprecation is? Those of you who are younger, those are the parts of Psalms that say things like, uh, blessed be the one who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Right? Imprecation uh, is the stuff that we read uh, where it's calling for the downfall of our enemies. And we look at ourselves and we say, I, I don't have enemies like that. Do I? Right? I don't know that I can, I can pray that. Maybe I should abandon that psalm and just go on to another one. We're going to see that today in Psalm 92. It says, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. 
My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. And when we read that, we're, we're, we struggle with that. Well, should we pray that way? You know, I've got this coworker, and every time he walks by me, he's giving me daggers with his eyes, and, and should I take Psalm 92 and pray that against him? No. No, we shouldn't. Right? But we should find our spiritual experience in our representative king. We do have a king. And this is what our shorter catechism says. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So when we see the representative Messiah of God in the Old Testament, often it's David as the king, praying uh, and speaking to the Lord, I have seen the doom of my evil assailants. We can pray, Lord, would you elevate the kingdom of Christ? Would you tear down every stronghold arrayed against him? Lord, would you cause the kingdom of Christ to advance? Uh, would you cause the gates of hell to be, uh, to be conquered? We can also pray it in other ways, but this is one way to deal with imprecation. Dave? Just like it says in the Psalms, yeah. Yeah. All right, so, so this is our basic orientation to Psalms in general. Uh, they are hybrid in the sense that they are prayers and they're songs. Uh, and they fill several different roles. God speaks to us, we speak to him, we speak to one another, we speak with one another to him, right? So it's a, it's a community involvement, and they're meant to be that way. You can find Psalms. Uh, 136 is a wonderful example. Um, and uh, I can't remember all of the lines, but I remember uh, the second line in every verse, and you do too. For the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. You remember that psalm, and it goes, and it's, it's repetitive. Most scholars believe that this was used as a sort of liturgical reading. And so the leader of, uh, of the synagogue, or in the days of the temple, uh, would cry out, gives thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And all of God's people together would respond, for steadfast love endures forever. And the leader would say, give thanks to the God of gods. And God's people would say, Exactly. So the psalms are given to us, not individually, but as, as a corporate body. Uh, and so, uh, so we can use them as God's people, and we ought to use them. Now, uh, here's where we do a little bit more digging. And the question is, what do we do with the psalms? How can we use them? What can we do with them? Again, uh, because I am a preacher, I've got three points. I snuck in a fourth earlier, but, uh, but now three points. What can we do with psalms? You can learn them, you can pray them, you can sing them. I have, uh, because I don't expect you to, to remember these things, I have some handouts for you. Uh, and I, I structured them so that you can use them in your own study, your own family study. Uh, and if you want more, could you grab some of those and just pass them back? If you want more, let me know. I'll be glad to share a link to a digital version for you or be glad to, to make copies for you. But when we think about uh, learning the Psalms, here are five things. This is not an exhaustive list. Five things that we ought to consider, things that we can look at. And I'm giving you this handout because in just a minute, we're going to do this together through Psalm 92. 
Here are five things you can use to study the Psalms, to learn them. First, think about the setting. Second, the images. Third, any repetition. Fourth, any theology. And fifth, any promises. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, is there an occasion to the psalm? Think about the setting. There are some psalms that have a particular setting. Our psalm today will have a setting, and we'll look at that. Some of them have a historical background. Uh, if we are told what the setting or the background is, you can use that as a tool to understand what was going on. Psalm 34, which we will hear uh, from the Roland men in just a, a, a few weeks, has a historical background. Not every psalm has a historical background. Do not add one where there is not one already. We often do that. Well, I think that this was written when the... No, you don't. Uh, somebody told you that, and you're going with it, but the text doesn't say it. And if it doesn't say it, don't, don't add it in there. Uh, second, images. Psalms are poetry. And poetry speaks to us in images. And so when we look at psalms, we should, we should ask, what do we see? What do we hear? What can we smell, in a sense? What are, what are the word pictures that this psalm uses? And how do those pictures help you to understand the central message? And then repetition, of course, what words or ideas are emphasized by being given to us uh, over again? Third, theology. What truth does this psalm teach us about God? What about his character? What about his relationship to creation and humanity and to his people? And then lastly, promises. Does God promise his people anything in this passage? And how do those promises show us what we really need? Now, we're going to do that together. Uh, we're going to take just a few minutes. I'm going to read Psalm 92. I'm going to leave, leave this up here. And you have it on the, uh, the insert or the, the handout that I've just given you. So if you want to scratch some ideas, if you have a pencil, that would be helpful. If not, just listen. Listen to the psalm and think about some of these things. Setting, image, re repetition, theology, and promise. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. 
They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Uh, so let's think about some of these things together, these points that I've given you. And let me encourage those who are younger among us that you can answer these questions as well. Let's begin with the setting. Is there a setting or an occasion for this psalm? And if so, how does it help us to understand what this is for? It's right at the beginning. This is not a trick question. Frank, thank you. The younger one's answering. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. So this explicitly tells us this is for the people gathered together. Do we see any evidence of that beyond the, the line at the beginning? And that, by the way, when you open an ESV, there are sometimes two headings to a psalm. There's always that dark black bold print. So this one in, uh, in the ESV says, how great are your works? The editors of this translation have added that. But when you see one in the ESV in small caps at the beginning, that's part of the text of the psalm as we've received it uh, through the Hebrew writings. It says a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It has come down with that, uh, that inscription for us. So beyond that line at the beginning, do we see any evidence that this is a Sabbath song uh, or any hints of this as we look through the text? Greg? Yeah. Yep, music and instruments. This is not private worship in your home, unless, like the Glancies, you have a family band, uh, which you might, that's okay. Uh, but this is God's people gathered together, right? And, and they're hearing uh, lute and, and, and lyre, and, and they have accompaniment. They're singing together. Anything else? Micah? Absolutely. What do God's people do when they get together on the Sabbath? They remember that they have a day that they stop working and remember the works of God. Good. It's the day that we, we rest and worship. Excellent. Other echoes of the occasion here? How about the language of morning and evening? On the Sabbath day, there was always a morning and evening sacrifice. That's why in most Christian traditions, up until very recently, there was always morning and evening worship. Uh, how about the language of where the righteous are planted? Where are they planted? In the house of the Lord. Here are God's people gathered together in his presence, in his house, and they're saying, this is where the righteous flourish. The wicked may flourish out there, but this is where we're planted. This is where we grow. This is where we are fruitful. Excellent. And you can see that just by connecting. We're just making observations here. What do we see in the text, and, and how can we connect it to the setting? What about the images that this text uses? Tucker. Mm. Yes. Three great images. So what's the difference between grass and a palm tree? How often do you have to trim the trees in your yard? Maybe once a year if you're really fastidious. 
How often do you actually trim the trees in your yard? Never. How often do you have to trim the grass in your yard? If you're like me, you cut it short the first time so you don't have to do it for weeks. There you go. But there's, there's a difference. Uh, it uses the language of grass and palm trees. And you also mentioned rock, which we can talk about. But there's a difference in the way that grass flourishes. Boom, it comes up. But then it dies pretty quickly. Not so with a palm tree. It grows slowly, but it grows uh, very long. The palm tree is known for being tall and straight. The cedar is known for being stout and strong. And both of those images are used to contrast the image of, of uh, the wicked. And then Tucker also mentioned God being a rock. How does that help us to understand that? Tim? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. To be burned in the fire. Yeah. Good, good. Absolutely, yeah. It, it gives us stability, gives us a foundation. So sometimes God in the Psalms is spoken of as a shelter over us. Sometimes he's a rock underneath of us. What's the picture? That he surrounds us that he's the one who causes us to flourish. We're not flourishing on our own, but we're in his courts. We're planted on him. He's the rock. He's immovable. Excellent. Other images that we see here? And it's not just a wild tree. Behold, an apple tree in the wilderness. When's the last time you saw one of those? No, you plant those things. They happen. I'm sure they happen. But, but the idea here is of cultivation. God is the gardener of his people. He plants us. He's the one who causes us to grow. Tim? And, and that idea of green and flourishing also shows up here. What's the image of green? Ever full of sap and green. Even when? Even down to old age. All of you older folks, isn't it a great thing to be really sappy? Right? But sappy in the sense of what God's word is telling us here, uh, fruitful is the language. There's nourishing sap that comes up through the tree and goes out uh, to produce fruit, to produce the date palm, to produce, uh, you know, uh, whatever pomegranate or whatever fruit you're going to find on this tree. It comes from that nourishing sap. Think of the language that Jesus gives us in the New Testament, that I'm the vine, you're the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can do no good thing. Why? There's no sap in you. But God is telling us here that when we're planted in his courts, he makes us full of sap and green, even down to old age. Even at the point when some people would say, I have nothing left to give to the church. We'll let the younger people take over. We'll let the people with sharper minds teach. We'll let those uh, who can go and sit in the nursery. And yet there's a, there's a stateliness, a, a, a sort of rootedness about God's people when they're older and yet trusting in the Lord and God is still using them for fruitfulness. 
We could continue going on, but I want to get to some other things. And so let, let's think about repetition. What else do we find here that is repeated? What's important to us? Righteous and unrighteous. There's this contrast that we see constantly in the Psalms. Your works, right? That's what makes me glad. Not me, not what I've done, but your works, O Lord, your works. Uh, verse 4, the works of your hands. And verse 5, how great are your works, O Lord. Tucker. That's right. So not only is there a contrast between uh, righteous and unrighteous people, but God is the righteous one. Absolutely. Any other repetition? <clears throat> Verse 9. Yeah. But notice uh, that it continues. Uh, and, and so here when we're thinking about repetition, don't just think about language specifically. Don't just think about the words. Think about the ideas. Because it's poetry. It's going to give us multiple ways of seeing the same thing. And notice how many uh, in the switch between verse 9 and verse 11. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. And then, verse 11, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Why should that give us joy? Well, it should give us joy if my enemies are God's enemies. Right? Uh, if we can align those two. And again, it's calling us back to see our spiritual experience through our mediator, through our representative. Right? We, don't, we don't just hate people because, uh, you know, again, they give us daggers at the office. Right? But we should be zealous for the works of the Lord. Uh, and we should, as the scriptures tell us, hate even the garment stained by the flesh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good. Good. And and here, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's not a command, right? You better, you better declare. You better sing. But it's telling us how wonderful these things are, right? We're catching this rather than being told what we ought to do. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's refreshing. Uh, it is a blessing to God's people. It's good to, for God as well. It brings honor to him. Right? And, and how are the people uh, bearing fruit and full of sap? Well, by declaring that the Lord is upright. Good. Other repetition that we see? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, absolutely. These songs are meant to be memorized. They're structured in such a way, and it's hard for us because it's written in a different language, and so something's always lost in translation. But they're meant to be taken with us and hidden in our hearts. Exactly, and some of that repetition is there. How about theology or promise? We're going to squish these so we can get to the next uh, section of actually praying this psalm together. Tucker.
he is exalted. He is on high. That, by the way, if I was going to give you another point to think about when you're learning Psalms would be, is there a structure that you can see? You can't see it. But verse 8 is the very center of this psalm. Verses 1 through 7 are made up of 15 lines with 52 words. And then verses 9 through 15 are made up of 15 lines with 52 words. And verse 8 in the middle, the Lord is on high forever. That's the main point of this psalm. You can't always see that from what you're reading. You might need some helps from a study Bible or something. Uh, but yeah, there's this great theology that holds everything together. Why is it good to give thanks to the Lord? Because he's on high. Why will his enemies be cast down? Because he is on high. And between his exaltedness and the depth of his thoughts, those who are brutish and stupid and foolish in the biblical sense of ignoring the truths of God cannot see and understand what God is doing. Good. So there's great theology here. Any promises that we find? We've already spoken of being full of sap and green. Sorry, go ahead, Kelly. His steadfast love. Absolutely. You can't get away from it. God's steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. That's a reference, by the way, isn't it? Uh, to Exodus 34, God declaring himself. And you'll see that theme, his steadfast love and faithfulness, over and over and over again. All right, uh, we're going to move on, though there's a lot more we could say. You've got these inserts uh, or these handouts. Take them home, apply this to a psalm, uh, use it for your own study. If you want more, I'll get you more. Uh, we are going to do a bit of praying together. Let me encourage you that we can pray psalms in lots of ways, all of the ways that we pray for other things. We can begin with praise. So as we've looked at it a little bit today, there are things that we can take here, truths about God we can turn in praise to him. There is thanksgiving. There's a slight differentiation there. Praise is focusing on who God is. Thanksgiving is expressing our gratefulness for what he has done. And in our prayer, we ought to have space for both. Lord, this is who you are. I love who you are. I love uh, your attributes and your character. I also love what you've done. Praise and thanksgiving. Sometimes in Psalms, we might find something that we need to confess. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And we might find ourselves saying, Lord, I've doubted that. Please forgive my, uh, my hardness of heart that doubts that your steadfast love is forever. We might have to confess. Supplication and intercession. What's the difference there? Supplication typically is asking the Lord for the things that you need. Intercession is asking the Lord for the things that others need. We can pray this psalm and apply it to ourselves. We can pray this psalm and apply it to someone else. We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to leave ourselves uh, just a little bit of time, enough to sing this song together when we're done. But we're going to take the next five or six minutes to pray this together. I'm going to ask Scott Owens to open. And then it's just an open season. If you would like to pray anything that comes from the psalm, anything the Lord brings to your mind, uh, join us in prayer. And then I'm going to close. Let's take a minute and pray together Psalm 92.
Father, we thank you for the grace of your word. We thank you that you have told us of your works so that uh, we are glad in you. You give us words to turn back to you in praise. You give us promises uh, by your word. You keep us declaring that you are upright. There is no unrighteousness in you. We thank you for the example of godly ones who have gone before us. Uh, Not only those here in our congregation who are elder among us, uh, but those of your saints uh, who down to old age were ever full of sap and green and full of fruitfulness to pass on your word to another generation. Thank you that we are the recipients of these things, but also participants together with them. Help us, Lord, to raise our voices to you in praise today, this Sabbath day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Another thought on praying the Bible. This is by Don Whitney. Comes from this little book that many of you already have. If you don't already have it, I have several copies. If you want one, come and get it. If I run out, let me know. I'll order more. Uh, Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. He says, praying the Bible is not only a method of prayer, it's also a method of meditation on Scripture. You read the verse, think about it for a moment, talk to God about it, Perhaps you look at it again, go through the process once more. By by so doing, you are not only praying the Bible, you are absorbing it. This is what the Puritans and the psalmist, by the way, call meditation. Meditation on God's word, taking what he speaks to us and turning it back to him in prayer. The last thing we're going to do with this psalm is sing it. So grab your psalter. There is only one selection for Psalm 92 in our blue Psalters. Yeah, let's all stand. Is that how it goes? It's good to thank.
Amen. We're dismissed.